0: Started up poor with plans to own more Now we own stores and fuck the baddest horse I was on tour with niggas that's so raw Started selling white, we won't sell it no more Like Trump ain't filling us, cops still killing us Niggas taking shots, can't stop me, they ain't real enough Cut her off, act like she did, and it's killing her New dawn, earn my I left the ceiling up Started poor with plans Podcast episode And own I got my girl Evry with Say so what's up, every Yo, 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 what's good, what's good,
1: how you guys doing?
0: All right, all right. So, you know, Every is a great person. The first time I met her was actually way back again. I met a lot of people in 2013, a lot of great people in 2013. And actually, I met her in the parking lot with her Mustang. She had this boss ass Mustang. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was nice. I was like, where you get that from? She, I don't know. I don't know. She told me or not. I can't remember. But I think it was in Florida or Tennessee, one of those places in like, uh, and she she was all to fitness too. She was like, I told her I wanted a four pack, so we went to the gym that same day, and she gave me this core exercise, and I can not feel my stomach for about a week. My stomach looked good. I mean, I had a four pack for a little moment, but I couldn't feel my stomach. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she used to pull up on me in the hood and everything, talking with much, but you know, um, she's she's a great person. So tell her, tell tell everybody the world more about yourself.
1: So, Thank you so much, my man Anderson. Like you said, we met, uh, like you said, probably back in 2013. I feel like it might have been maybe 2013, 2014. Uh, True story, he said before, we met on the Air Force Base. uh, And as you said, it was definitely, we started with a car and it led to workouts. Uh, And he used to complain a lot about the workouts, boy. (laughs) (laughs) My boy wasn't ready. He thought it was a game. And so, from that, you know, we have stayed in contact throughout the few years that we've known each other, and now my main focus, my main agenda, is this nonprofit uh, called Trees. that is S-L-E-E-B-E-S, the number four, MEETS eeds You can do .org, which is a website. Find us on Facebook or Instagram, um, and that's what I committed my life to. So, of course, the first question is, "What is Please for Me?" Please for Me currently is the only inner city based nonprofit in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we focus our efforts towards, essentially, uh, taking care of the lower income, uh, inner city youth at risk youth, our elderly, disabled, veteran members, and of course, our homeless
0: okay okay so tell, tell everyone like uh what, what what motivated you to even start this business or start the non-profit
1: uh, I, mean, I guess it was i has to be off top personal experience and as, there, as well as the fact uh, of course as you mentioned before us both being service members and veterans of our country i felt the greatest responsibility as a veteran service member and uh you know doing what i do best which is looking out for my country and looking at the suffrage of my own people in my own country. And I realized that, you know, we could beg and cry all day for the next man to come and do it, but I had to ask the uh, personal internal question, what are you going to do about it? And that's when I realized that I could do more than just sitting here and and complaining. I could really get up and put my feet on the ground, start making efforts and put forth action. Um, and that's really what drove us to get started. It was just I was just tired of watching my people suffer, and I felt like I needed to do something. And so that's what brought about the life of this place for Me.
0: Definitely, especially with veterans, cause I just hate that when I see veterans on the side of the street, they're homeless. They ain't got no jobs. I I just don't get it. So like I was like you know, every time I like I see an airman, I was like uh airman was someone like um like uh, I like close some any friends budgeting and definitely like uh, manage your money so when you get out, you can have that that leeway. And that space and time for you like do what you want to do in life, start your own business. I always like recommend for people to start their own business later in the military. Or invest start investing to yourself into your future. Because some sometimes the shit's for the birds and sometimes you won't last as long as twenty years. Most people get out way before then you won't get the retirement check. And I mean, it's all about your personal spirits. So definitely with that it's the best thing especially for veterans who gets out and don't really have a, another option to what to do next so that's great that she's doing something like that there you um, know i remember ev like uh she called me once overseas and she was like hey i'm starting this non-profit you know and they just support me and stuff like that and i was really down for it like everything she told me i believed in her I believed in the idea and that's why i'm all for it so i'm all for it still to this day and i'd love to see it grow so And I know you do What's what's your most Challenging thing about Like getting started With a non-profit What's the most Challenging part The most
1: challenging
0: Thing about the Non-profit Yeah Um Getting started Getting started To where you're at now I don't
1: you know, uh, man, no one's ever asking that question. That's no <laughs> a good question. Uh, what was the most challenging thing about the non-profit?
0: Yeah, from the beginning, uh-huh. from even, like, putting on a piece of paper, from, like, saying, like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get I'm it started <laughs> to what, what is Mass it to today?
1: I guess being separated from the real and the fake of it all. You know, when I first started this thing, I was... ...questioned, you know, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, because... Then in the world of non-profits, you kind of learn the game like any other game that you go into. And uh, you find out that in the nonprofit profit world, there's branding, the Sweet needs brand, as it is strictly 110% for the community. I take none back, I put my own money, my own resources into the pot, as well as yours going in with mine. So that we can make this uh, thing happen, make it a, a true effort for our community success. Um, and so to me, that has been, well, it was. That was probably my biggest challenge starting out, was just being able to certify stuff as authentic, like, no, we're really doing this to help people in our community. I'm not looking at this as the next greatest uh, scam hustle to get on. This yeah. is something that I'm really committed to serious about. Um, and so to me, that was probably one of the first real true challenges, was just getting people to believe in the purpose and the mission of what we do.
0: Okay, and so, like I know you did some PowerPoints, you did some presentations.
1: Mm-hmm. How was
0: that? Like, how how was putting that together for the community, or just getting people to just come to those events to see what you actually do?
1: Uh, you know, the, the PowerPoints and stuff were what made it work, you know, because, of course, people believe what? Numbers. As soon as you can start producing numbers and showing uh, some credibility to yourself, that's what they believe, you know. So uh, the presentations were really put together, like I said before, as a, as another convincing tool. Because uh, tool. Uh, people got to understand, we started this company in February of 2008, this year. Uh, by the time I started producing presentations, we were only two or three months old. But as I told people before, we started in February, and we had gave out three hundred and twenty seven care bags. Today I don't know the exact count, but I know we're eleven thousand care bags plus mm-hmm. as we speak today. Um, as well as the fact we went from in July for example. I started in July with 12 children. Today to count I have thirty three children that wanna be my program and I can start taking a hundred more of my borrow. Uh, another thing that uh sticks out to me, lawn care services. You know, we started cutting grass for free, people thought that was a joke. Well guess what? I provided one hundred and forty seven service free lawn care services all summer long to the community. Um, meals, I mean you name it, I could give you so many different numbers. I um and so just keep that was kinda like started authenticating us People could really see our numbers, really been projected and showing. No, we've been really doing these activities in our communities. So here's the numbers to verify what, how many times, or how many times, uh, I'm sorry, how many times I gave out, or how many items I issued out, or you know, you name it. I, I like like I said before, the presentations were the visual effect. I guess is the better way to describe what was brought to the picture. It was the visual visualization, the words, and then the actions all kind of started adding up. And you know, once people see those three things fall into place, you pretty much have the crowd at that point, and they're. Uh, always watching that's the catch you know someone is always watching and so that's what really the presentation helped bring with the visualization visualization part to the picture
0: mm. okay and with the kids i see you do a lot with the kids and that's that's something cool because something that, like i think everyone needs to do in the community get like a group of kids that don't have like any fathers or don't have that like strong house or so just take them out there and actually show them the ropes of life you know be that yeah. little person in life so tell me what's some things that you do with the kids
1: uh, so, we started in July with the children. Uh, what it was is that, you know, uh, as I explained to many people, because a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you got to focus on the kids, you got to focus on the kids, you got to focus on the kids. Uh, but the analogy I used to people, especially when they emphasized that, was that, you know, you got to look at children like the seeds. But then the seeds spread out to a tree, right? And so the tree to me was the elderly, the homeless, the single parents, et cetera. And as I expressed to one person, you know, if you only focus on nurturing and watering the seed, it'll sprout and grow. But just like with the tree, if you don't continue to take care of the tree, what happens? It dies. Hmm. And so to me, my purpose when I started picking up children, it was to start planting the seeds that will sprout out into trees and branches that are easily maintained to grow. Because I work with trees that I have to constantly keep modifying, shaping, and keeping uh, in order. So it was like the children were to me the critical step in showing that how we can take children in environments that are viewed as uh, hopeless, you know, the statistical things. They're going to go to jail. They're more likely to be selling drugs. These are the kids that are going to be more likely to be dead. And I said, you know, if you commit the time to the children and really give them activities of releases where they can grow and develop themselves to be uh, great people, but also at the same time having options and choices to choose the route they want to take, I was like, you will find that the crime and other statistics that they want to put our children want to exist. Um, and so that's why in July we launched the Spools for These Kids on the s 4 Kids program. Uh, we started with these children doing free soccer, free art, and free gardening lessons. That's what we started with. Uh, currently, right now, as we speak today, we have went from soccer, art, gardening, to we now offer study hall. They're currently taking boxing lessons, and already lined up for the spring, they will be taking golf. Lessons as well. Element, okay. um, you know. When I got these kids, I'm not gonna lie; they were just like any you know, other kids, rowdy, a little bit wild. Uh, mm-hmm. But the thing that disturbed me was that they were a lot older than their age. You know, my oldest kid in my program is probably 14 years old. But because of the environment these children were in, they were not 14. They were more like. Forty-eight, you know, and, and that's because of the environment we're never forced to grow up so fast. Uh, what I have watched recently, as I, because I've emphasized it to them, is that when you're with me and it's me space, you are free to be your, be a kid. So you don't have to worry about trying to be forty-eight. You need to be fourteen. If you're six, be six. You ain't got to worry about trying to be twelve. Um, and I've watched these children really grow and love that because I, I, I can't get rid of them sometimes, you know? <laughs> but um mm. honest truth, is a good thing, though, because like I said, they're in a safe space where they can be their Um And in that concept, I've been able to easily teach them some of the most basic manners and skill states. You wouldn't believe how many compliments I get when we go out to places people say, it's amazing if you have 18 kids not run around and turning everything up. Uh, but like I tell the people, it's because I emphasize to them, a time and place for everything is the key factor. Uh, and as well as that, fact, I've watched these children. When I got these kids in Slotik Study Hall, none of these kids could read. None of these kids were on a row. None of these kids were, they were lacking a lot of areas of their education. Today, I currently have 12 that are on a row. Everybody can read. Mm -hmm. Even if they're struggling, they can all read. And as far as any felling grades, I have had children that use these and else, and they're all in C, B, and A range at this point, as we speak. So it's proven that if you commit yourself to really shaping and developing the future, they will definitely develop and shape the future. And now these kids are talking about being things like a uh, micro marine biologist. One kid told me that's what he wants to do. Okay. I have another kid that wants to go into straight fashion and graphic designing. Um, I mean, it, it's amazing at what they've been able to expand their minds to since we've been offering them outlets into more than just what you see in your community
0: going on. Mm. And like, for the garden, right... So, mm-hmm. do they plant the garden, do they plant, like, the vegetables and fruits for the families or for the community to come by and just grab some food for the community? That way it's organic, it's fresh food, it's healthy food. Like, how, how does that work? So, the
1: garden was kind of brought to me by some elderly ladies. Honestly, the true story how we picked up gardening, it was an elderly member who had a garden and had a very bad accident in the garden. Like, I had to go get her, take her to the ER and the whole not. And when she started explaining to me about the upkeep of the garden and other things like that, I told her that you know you don't need to be doing that because we don't need you falling in the garden and, and constantly breaking something every time you fall. I was like I have young children. Who can very actively do the work um, and give you some joy and some opportunity to educate and teach them some things as well as that I'm sure they would enjoy the gardening. Mm-hmm. Cause that's really how we picked up the gardening and they went out there and they picked and pruned that go like, you know, they took home the organic, uh, what do they take home? They took home watermelons. I think one time they took home cucumbers, another time they took home tomatoes, another time they took home green peppers, they took home squash, you know, they were giving the thing for taking care of the garden. And uh come to find out, they really enjoyed it. I mean, children like digging in dirt. So it was uh, like a free shop for digging <laughs> in dirt, and they loved every bit of it.
0: <laughs> like like making them mud pads back in the day when you just uh get some dirt and water, and <laughs> yeah, you start to eat yeah. it. They yeah, they loved all
1: of it. Like getting the dirt to water the garden, picking the stuff, pulling the weeds out. They, you know, it was like, well, I tell you what, they couldn't get enough of it, to be honest. They enjoyed it too much, maybe. <laughs> okay,
0: so where, where do you see... Sleeves and needs in the next five years? Like, what's your main goal in life for Sleeves and Needs?
1: Sleeves and Needs' main goal is to get to where we are in every inner city, city, and state in America. Uh, and eventually, going to a global platform when we come out of America and we go to Africa, we go to Canada, we go to Austria, we go to wherever those needs are at. Um, because, as I said before, Keep in mind, we are targeting a set group of people. I am looking for the lower-income, poor, single-parent, homeless, veterans, etc., because these are, to me, the groups of people who are being overlooked but, in my opinion, have the most impact and the most power. You know, I tell you all the time, Mm -hmm. 1% of the population is making half a million for a million dollars a year. The rest of us, so it's like, if you focus... Right now, if you look at our country, the focus is what the one percent wants, uh, and the only reason why the one percent gets what they want is because they have the monetary value. Yeah. Uh, my whole thing is that if you do this right, Free for means will eventually become a multi-million dollar company. Then, what mm. most I think what most nonprofits do, like I said, this is just my opinion, but what I believe most nonprofits should do is that you take your multi millions and you invest it back in your community, meaning mm. that I can give my. Why my trash guy, my janitor, my truck driver, et cetera, a $16-an-hour wage, if you should the money appropriately. Yeah. Um, and so that's really pleasing me to focus, is that we're going to take the economy and flip it upside down. We're going to take our money, we're going to hire our own people, give them good-paying jobs, because here's what happens. While you're yelling that the drug dealers and other people are doing this because of survival necessity, you're not giving them any outlets of jobs. Because then what you do is you make them a felon. So when they go into the job market, they can't get a job nowhere because they're labeled as a felon. Mm. Um, and so I believe that if you give them the sixteen, seventeen dollar paying jobs, you tell them, man, you can put the the, the drugs down and do this. I think they'll do it. Why do a drug dealer sell drugs? Because he's got to feed his family. It's not because he really wants to run around and sell drugs and risk his life from gunshots to the police. It's because his motivation is, I am trying to feed my family and get us up out of here. Uh, and I just believe that if you take the money that is given and properly distributed out, you will rid the, the community of drugs. You will reduce crime in your community. You will put more of a, a appreciation back into the people of the community, which means they'll take care of the community. I don't want to kill my bro because I got to work it in the next day. Plus, we're both making a good job at $17 an hour. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I'm a convicted felon, but my background doesn't matter because the focus is that I can do a job set, a skill set that is more important. If you can bust floors, I have a job for you. If you know how to fix the roof, I got a job for you. You know how to cut grass. I got a job for you. I don't care about your background. I mean, as long as you are not out here uh, murdering everybody in spite and fighting, just raping every person that you get your hands on, I don't care about any of that. I could care less if you stole drugs. I could even care less if you even did kill somebody. Honestly, if, if, if it's a, a case where a situation occurs where if you are them, how could I tell you not to do that? I'm a, I'm a military veteran in combat. I know the definition of making a very quick decision when it comes to life and death. So I'm not going to judge you for that. My thing is that, what can we do right now? You're out of jail right now. I don't want you to go back in. So my question for you is, what can you do? And if exactly. it's something that is doable, that is usable to my company, I got a job for you. I'm high on the spot, $70 an hour, nothing to talk about. Go out there and get that money, and I got your pay and you get back. That's, mm. to me, how it's supposed to go. Um, and unfortunately, for some reason, our, our American government doesn't seem to understand that concept.
0: They don't. Like... Uh I believe that, like you know, communities that we in, we should definitely put our you should at least put a gate around or something like that. Like get we should gentrify our own uh, community, mm-hmm. make it very livable, mm-hmm. repaint the houses. We can like come together, like uh, redo the insides of the house. You know, uh, renovate it, make it real nice, and make it very up to date. Because that's the what Mexicans do. Like literally, ten people be in the house, and what they do exactly. is they split the bill by 10 ways, not even money just to buy another house for uh, another f- group of uh, family members or even Mexicans. And they just basically just keep keep that uh, the same effect, keep going every, the domino effect, keep it going okay. until everyone is very successful, got their own house, everything's paid off. So they stay in one house right. for like a year and just pay that whole house off, literally. 10 checks coming in one household. Right, That's right. It. We should do that. I'm- I yeah. that.
1: it's beyond that for me. I mean, the irony to me is that, you know, right now, if you go on social media, you can watch where a, a Korean business, a Asian business, yeah. a white business, you, you, whatever you want to name it as, where they are disrespecting black people. Now, mind you, the black people are their customers. They're coming there for a service or something that they provide. Yeah. Yet you mistreat them and talk to them like dolls and talk them out. What frustrates me about my population of people is that instead of saying, okay, we're going to go next door to the black business and put our money there and invest in our own and let our dollars grow in our community, you would rather go on social media and make a whole video about how they did you and now we're going to boycott this business. Not that I'm saying that's not a solution. Definitely bankrupt them out because if we don't buy, they don't make no money. But my whole thing is that I would like to see my people going to our own businesses. I don't understand this. Why would you... I mean, it's crazy to me. There, there could be two coffee shops next door. Starbucks, let's, 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 let's use an example. Starbucks next door, and you know, we got uh, Richard's uh, hot black bean coffee. Richard is a black businessman. Starbucks is obviously the national brand. Starbucks has a known reputation of disrespecting the black people, okay? I know we all saw the video where the manager called the police on the two black guys who were sitting there mind their business, and he didn't want them in the, in the Starbucks, so he just called the police to have them, uh, you know, arrested or whatever. Mm. That's nothing that disturbs me. I find it disturbing that people are trying to use the police as a way to control us. Uh, we didn't break no crime, so what do you call the police for? And what really disturbs me is the poor discernment by the police. Like, you're getting called for the scene claiming with claims of of an incident occurrence. My thing is that, why does your brain not click on when you get there to see that nothing's occurring and say, sir, what are we here for? You always seem to go right with the game, approach the black people, body them up, and then you want to claim uh, resistance of arrest and other crazy things because you instigated the entire situation. Now, here's what I say. This is what I'm trying to get to, is that all that happened in Starbucks. Me, Meanwhile, you could have easily went next door to Richard's Black Bean Coffee, got your hot cup of joe, however you liked it, with a smile, uh, uh, a thank you, the whole night, and could have sat down and enjoyed that cup of coffee with no problems whatsoever. But the irony is that we would still choose the Starbucks over Richard's Black Bean Coffee. So my question is why? And then I realized because you're dealing with a mindset, people have been conditioned, particularly the black community has been mm. conditioned. But as I people before, you gotta go deep with this. Now see, this is where it's gonna get deep. Think about it. Everything that the black person knows, someone told you to know that. You see what I'm saying? Because many of us, because of the of the uh, Atlantic slave trade, we have lost our lineage. You don't really know where we came from. Exactly. So you're... And as I tell people before, when you get a story told to you, you know, history breaks down in two words. What are the two words that history breaks down into, you know? Mm. His story. So here's the kicker. Who's telling you the story? And most of the stories we have been told have been told by a European. What they want us to know, which is Western history. So the catch is this, is that if your person who is telling you the story is not like you, doesn't look like you. Ain't had to live like you. Don't move like you. Then why are you following his story? It's, it's Exactly. To me. It's like
0: so, it's like in school, right? You know, how in school, the first yeah. thing they taught you in middle school. As soon as I got to sixth grade, it was like, yeah, okay, today we're we'll gonna learn about the slaves and shit. Like what the slaves? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. They, they don't they don't teach you They don't start you off with nothing uh, positive. Like you know, you know, they, they, uh-huh. they don't be direct with you. Like you know, African Americans in this class. So I want you to know that hey, you were kings and queens. Before he comes to this country, and Correct. yes, and yes, our ancestors did y'all wrong. It was very uh, brutal situation what they did. I right. want you to know. I want y'all to right. know. Y'all, y'all, y'all came as y'all came as people as kings and queens. Y'all start like kings and queens, and y'all didn't stay like that. So they should just teach that kings and queens concept. Don't start everyone off with that slave mindset, because that's really what it starts.
1: You well, know, it's our responsibility too. Like I told one person, you know, my grandmother before she passed away, R. P. Elizabeth Carter, mm-hmm. uh. She was my historian. See, because my grandmother grew up during Jim Crow and Willie Lynch area. She can, she really saw the white and the colored signs and those type of things. Up. So my grandmother was really my first historian. She was the one that told me basically the brutal truth. Like, one day when you grow up, the world is not going to be as cheeky as you see it as because this is the reality. You have a skin tone that is not appreciated in this country. Now, the real irony to the story is that, uh, you know, not even just with the kings and queens storyline. It's the case is that they can stay in America, but they don't teach our our, our, our leadership, our stories. Like, for exactly. example, I can ask my children right now, who is George Washington, um, Thomas Jefferson, things of this nature, but if I ask my children, who's, Fre- who's Frederick Douglass? Uh, who is Sojourner Truth? I'll give you a really good one that a lot of people don't know. Do you know who Garrett Morris is? Do you know who Garrett Morris is?
0: Hell no, nah, I don't know who that is. <laughs>
1: Garrett Morris is a man who invented the traffic light. Oh. She's black. She's black. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's crazy. People don't know that, though. But That's the thing. They don't know that. And the reason why, okay, so what happened? You want to talk about slavery? Here's what happened. During slavery, because we were considered a property, remember that? If you were black, you was the same equivalent as the horse or the pig. Mm. So... If you invented something because you were considered property, you didn't get credit for that. Your slave master's name went on that. You see what I'm saying? And so that's the real kicker is that there are a lot of inventions Run around in this country with names on it that really don't belong there. That's not who made that. It is most of the inventions we use, from our telephone, to the car you drive, the stoplight you stop at, the coffee machine that you press go on, the Nintendo, the Super Soaker. I can run so many inventions down the list that are black, but you don't know that because history, once again, his story, tells you that a white man invented that all because of slavery and because of the fact that slaves were viewed as property, therefore they had no ownership, so therefore they owned no patent. That's all it comes down to. This country is literally built on lies. It really is. And like I said, my frustration with my people is that it's no excuse. Once upon a time, we couldn't read. That's true. Mm -hmm. But now in an era where you can pull up Google, anything that you pop in your head to think about, we don't take the time to Google minutes out of our day, some type of historical African, African American fact, and that disturbs me. Especially when you can Google uh, the latest—I uh, don't know—Superman dance or whatever it is <laughs> that's popular right now. You know, they're quicker than. But you won't Google a historical fact about yourself. You got to let somebody else come in the tweet and say, "Hey, that's not true." I'm gonna tell you your own history. That's upsetting to me, and that's why I said that when you are looking at really the black issue, you have to start all the way to the mindset. We are battling a. Couple of thousand years mindset, literally, we are. Um, but, as I, as I tell you all the time, pay attention because history always repeats itself. Yeah. And I feel like right now, we're going through an evolution of history with a lot of things that we're dealing with, and particularly in the black community. Uh, it's nothing new that white people didn't get killed by the police, that's nothing new. It's nothing new that white people have uh, been missing or been justified or come up as a form of genocide. It's nothing new that, people are, that black people are more likely to go to jail for the same crimes that our uh, other ethnicity may commit as well. It is nothing new to a lot of things that happens in the black experience. My question is, where did we lose the torch? It seems like after Malcolm and Martin Luther King, who came next? And the answer is no one. They've also, in my opinion, instilled a fear because what they did is they killed a lot of leadership. And they basically said for the black people, for those of you who ought to get bold enough to stand up and really say something, you're going to have to fear for your life too because if you don't be quiet or you don't say what we like, you could probably lose your life over this. I and mean, that scares a lot of people. But the irony for that is that we are quicker to kill each other over Fair than we are to stand up for the people who will shoot us down in broad daylight. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I, like I said, it's a whole mindset if you're battling at this point.
0: Okay, so like, how, how can we improve that as people in the community in this world? What, what do you think the solution please, would be?
1: Please for Me is the solution for that. That's what I'm saying, that we are going to be the examples better. That is what we were created for. I was like, you know, we don't know because no one is showing us how. So someone has to step to the plate and be that leadership to show us how. And that's what Please for is. I am re teaching my people how to take care of ourselves. That's the catch. You can't look to your oppressor for the solution maker. He oppresses you, therefore he would never be there to make the solution. The solution must come from within, and that is what Silicones has been doing. We have been using, like I said, our own East Austin community to successfully make this company run. Uh, it's crazy because I was just sitting here uh, speaking to some young ladies today, telling them that you know. Uh, our first year anniversary is coming up in February, mm. and that I want to do an appreciation banquet. I, will, I want to get some plaques some certificates, and some, uh, some gift cards or some form for the people who have made this company run. I mean... The, the clothes, I didn't buy those clothes. People donated those clothes. The shoes, I didn't buy the shoes. People donated the shoes. The coats, I didn't buy the coats. People donated the coats. I mean, I did my part by making sure that when you gave me this stuff, to get it to those in need. But to honest and God truth, I can't give about 327 caravans if you don't give me the clothing So it is the community right. that has really drove this and got it pushing and got it going. And now it's at a point where there's no stopping it. I mean, literally, it's full skill up and running. Um, and so there is no slowdown to this train, none whatsoever.
0: Mm, okay so you think as a community right you know how, like that same neighborhood that you work with kids in like mm-hmm. one weekend like you get a group of 10 people or 20 people and like you can come together and just like repaint the house repaint one house mm-hmm. each weekend or just go inside and just uh you know update some stuff in the house or like each house each weekend can make a difference and that's that's what? a way to update the value of the uh the community and uh, show some value in what the kids are growing up in as well, and it shows a uh, different appreciation of the neighborhood. Correct.
1: Absolutely correct. I mean, like I said, that's why grass care, grass care was started. It was started for two reasons. Number one, I was looking, like you just said, the beautification of this neighborhood. Uh, a cut yard looks really good versus mm-hmm. an ugly uncut yard. Uh, and then number two, when I got into cutting grass, I realized that the uncut yards was due to, like I said, some form of limitation, whether they were disabled or they were single parent, they really didn't have the funds to buy the line more or to actually maintain the service, um, or they were elderly, so they were actually too old to be out there in it. Uh, it. It was all kinds of reasons that came across my table for line care, but I, like I said, I made a commitment that the, every reason that came across my table to me was not enough of a reason to sit there and let our 97 elderly member with her grass uh, knee deep high to stay uncut. I thought that was just unacceptable. Uh, and so, as I said before, I believe that there are pretty, probably plenty of neighbors in the area that saw it. They just weren't doing nothing about it. And that's why I did something about it. Not as to say, oh, I'm doing it as to much as to say, this is what we should do for each other. Our 97-year-old member grass they cut all summer long, because there's six of us right on the block with a lawnmower, we can rotate and take turns cutting the grass just as long as we keep her grass cut. Um, and so that's what like I got before is that, the main thing for a black community today, in my opinion, solution is number one, unification. We must unite. We are stronger in numbers than we are separated. Uh, the second factor is when we unite, we must take care of each other. You cannot keep letting these petty differences get in between us. Religion does not matter. Uh, sex does not matter. Uh, what else do we use? Uh, uh, status quo. These things do not matter. What matters is that we unite together and we take care of each other. So that way, because as I told you before, the irony is that uh, your oppressor will become interested once you start doing something different. See, right now they could care less because we're doing nothing different. Mm. But I promise you, the moment we start taking care of each other, they will take an interest in what we are doing. It's all been proven with Black Wall Street. Tuscaloosa, Oklahoma is an excellent example of we became too powerful when we unite. We were so powerful that they took the time out to bomb their own country. They bombed Tuscaloosa, Oklahoma. That's how that ended with Black Wall Street because mm. it was just too strong. It was too much. And it's scary, and they saw something that was occurring they thought we cannot let this spread across all black communities everywhere because if they all start doing it we'll be in trouble and so the solution to the answer was to bomb it and that's what they did they bombed Black Wall Street. So it's all been proven by history that our unification is our true power. And like I said, I think that with the time frame change different, that is more for our benefit than it's ever been before. And so, like I said before, the key to this is unification and self care of our own communities and ourselves. The moment we start doing that, I promise you you're gonna ruffle some feathers. And the crazy part, you didn't do nothing. You just took care of yourself. And that is going to bother so many people, trust me.
0: Mm, that's crazy. Alright, so to everyone, what's your favorite quote that you always tell somebody?
1: Um, My favorite quote that I always tell somebody it is going to be Huey P. Newton, you know, you know, I, I take Huey P. Newton because a lot <laughs> of it done in his story to criminalize Huey P. Newton. But Huey P. Newton has one of the best quotes ever. Right. His quote goes as, uh, it is not the hate in a person that should, he's like, it's not the hate in a person that brings about unity. It is the love for one another that brings us together. I love that quote. Mm. It's one of my favorites ever. It, it, it cannot better express the thoughts that I have about what we're dealing with today.
0: Hmm. Okay. So I definitely yeah. love that, and um definitely my listeners gonna love it too, because I'm I'm growing right now. So I just started, you know, two two uh, episodes ago, but my. My my listeners are definitely growing up to more than two hundred right now. So it's it's really No, cool. no.
1: Thank you so much for having us on the uh, what is it called? The Lunchbox? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Lunch Meat it's <laughs> <me, my> <laughs> sooner or later when i start doing the videos <laughs> well, look, right
1: let me get it right y'all make sure y'all support my boy on the lunch me y'all hear me my man's name is ronald anderson y'all show him some mad mad love because as you all know as he said before he's a huge spleen supporter uh, matter of fact i want to take this time and actually thank him on the airwaves uh y'all wouldn't know this but anderson is definitely one of the biggest contributors that helped start the uh company up um I will never forget when I first started. I told him I said, "Man, somebody gave me a van," and I was like, "But the catch is, we need about three hundred fifty dollars just to get the van to run." My boy said, "Oh, no problem," and literally within the next thirty minutes, cashed out me the three hundred fifty to get the van up and running. So I just want to take the time and, and definitely thank you personally for that because uh, honestly, had you not sent that three hundred fifty. I don't know if police needs would be up and running because the van has to run, and it was a it's a critical piece of equipment to our company. So I definitely take the time out to thank you and let your let your uh, viewers and listeners know that he supported us as well. And like I said, this is all the way in uh, North Carolina. Actually, you were overseas in Dubai, Tom. So yep. that just shows how quickly we are spreading. We done went from Tennessee to the box. So, yeah. And so I just want to thank you for that and let you know that uh, we appreciate everything you have done on your behalf as far as support and sleep for needs. And we hope to continue to keep your support as long as we stay standing.
0: Oh, you know, you know, it's like we're a thousand or We're going to be rolling this day. You got to start in Charlotte soon because the home oh, man, it's, it's, it's bad. That's how I wanted Yeah. It, so, yeah, one day we'll be well, right.
1: Yeah. Well man, I don't mean to cut us short, but I gotta go. I gotta I, I gotta <laughs> keep going. You know how it is, right? I gotta keep pushing. But uh like I said sport, thank you so much for having us on the air. I hope that our conversations will influence some kind of uh Sparking the brain, as Tupac says, I'm going to spark the brain that changes the world. Exactly. Uh, that's what I hope that I help do as well, is that we spark the brains to change the world, because that's what it's about. It's definitely mm. a time for change, and uh, I think that for, like I said before, for the African-American, African, pan-Africanism race, it is very important for us to take advantage of the opportunities coming our way, because if we don't, his story will definitely make sure to tell his own version of how this went down for us. Mm. Okay,
0: all right, so that's, that includes our uh session here, you know, with the beautiful Ev, so definitely she's got a lot to do, a lot a lot on playing, she's definitely working for the community here, so that's it. so stay tuned for another episode, peace out. They want to see me fall, and I will never sell my soul, I want some shit that they ain't seen before, dream chasing, catching all my goals.